0: morning. We are going to be in Acts chapter 8 this morning, so go ahead and turn there. The uh, passage in front of us, all scriptures are awesome to look at. This uh, this week I've had a wonderful time studying and observing, and I would encourage you today as we look at Acts chapter 8 to ramp up your powers of observation, see what you can see, look closely. It's a fascinating passage. It actually touches on Uh, some issues that I've dealt with in ministry, and we continue to deal with in ministry uh, quite a bit. And one of the questions is, how do you know a person's saved? Of course, that's God's business, but uh, I will tell you, living in the South, uh, not to rap on the South, but when you have a church on every corner, or maybe four churches on every corner, it's kind of the thing to do. And somebody will move into town, and they'll be a business person, and they'll go to church, that's what good people do. And uh, I found it harder there to tell who was a real believer as opposed to being in Colorado where it stands out just a little bit more. So I don't look around this room and say, well, I don't think so-and-so is a believer. Believe me, I'm not doing that to you. But I have been in many churches where it's like, well, you know, that's a a vibrant question and it relates to who we put in leadership, uh, all those kind of things. And uh, so we kind of will touch on that today and some other things. So it's just a fascinating passage. Today's sermon is titled, Out of the Kettle, because in the boiling over with persecution, now somebody has been killed for the faith, we are going to see that the church will actually expand as God intended. And it is persecution that propels the church to do what Acts 1.8 said, which is you'll start in Jerusalem, you'll go to Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost part of the earth, and God uses persecution for that. Today, I'm going to put a new spin on it. If you're wondering, how can I wear a Hawaiian shirt and talk about persecution, it's exactly why I'm wearing a Hawaiian shirt, as you'll see today. But you're going to have to hang around to the end of the service for that. All right, next week, Acts chapter 9, the famous uh, story of the conversion of the apostle Paul, who was solid. the time, I saw the light. Just work with me here, okay? <laughs> I saw the light. You're lucky I'm not going to sing it for you. (laughs) Now, today we'll be in the story in the book of Acts in Palestine or Israel, the Levant, and we'll see this whole region here, you see, and in the red box is especially where we will be today. I love maps. They help me frame the passage. So I'll get to the red box in a moment, but you'll see above it Asia, modern Turkey. They changed the name Um, Turkey has, which they have the right to. Uh, Over on the right you see where the ancient city of Babylon was. Obviously in the upper left, Greece, Athens, and then Rome would be further up to the left, and Egypt down there. I don't have Ethiopia on this map because this uh, map did not have enough room for it, but we'll get there. So understand that in the time of the New Testament you see this uh, uh, regional map. This is the time of Jesus and the uh, apostles and you'll see the areas of samaria judea what used to be judah they went to bana white they bought some vowels and and so now they call it judea and you see samaria the northern part what was the northern kingdom also known as Assyria, uh, israel which Assyria destroyed in 722 bc then you have galilee the Tetrarchy of philip the decapolis 10 cities there and in perea on the other side of the jordan river if you could see it, i don't know if you could see that or not so anyway Uh, That's what you have at this time, and we're going to see how the gospel will expand from there. So in Acts chapter 1, what I'm going to do like I did last time, I'm going to read section by section here and then make some comments. But observe when we read. It's just so full of amazing detail. So Acts chapter 8, verse 1. And Saul approved of his execution. That goes back to Stephen when he was executed. Luke wants you to know for sure. Saul approved. He was all in with it. And there arose on that day connected with the execution a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church And entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. So this is the first use of the noun persecution in the book of Acts. The root idea, it means to pursue, so the the believers are being pursued. This is going to foreshadow what we'll see next week when Paul comes to Christ. Isn't it ironic that Paul pursued these people? He approved of their killing. We think he actually killed or initiated killing. And yet, in eternity, when Paul entered heaven, the people he had killed were right there cheering him on as he entered. And that's the grace of God. Only the grace of God could do that. So, at this point, though, before he's converted, he is basically a murderer. And now we've gone from warning the church to flogging and beating the church to martyrdom and now we go to persecution and there's a feeling that maybe this is especially focused on the group we call hellenists the greek background people in the church and so others because not everybody flees but they do and it's interesting also the apostles stay behind a couple of reasons for that one maybe they were bold in the faith another one could be that the apostles felt like they were so high profile That they were safe for the moment and that would last for a few chapters until acts chapter 12 in which case uh, there after james death with the harassment the apostles actually will leave themselves so that is just fascinating stay behind and the preachers go out it's just an interesting dynamic so acts chapter one is fulfilled god gets the church out of its comfort zone and he moves them out and gets them to go out and preach the word And I say this for all of us, it's not just you, it's me too. I mean, I like to be in my comfort zone, so do you. And God has to nudge us out like a mother bird nudging a baby bird out of the nest to get us to go out and share the gospel. And while it's important for us to assemble together as believers, not saying we should not, really our gospel ministry is when we get out in the world and we are bold enough to encounter people in the world, to have conversations with them, to go into that middle space and have conversations about the spiritual life. And so that's what's going to happen here. The devout men, by the way, verse two, this is a little detail that you might not have picked up. You know, how would you? In their law there, they were not allowed to lament someone who had been stoned. That was not allowed. So these guys are basically defying the law And they're saying, Stephen died a righteous, honorable death, and we're going to honor him. So with the lamentation, that's what's happening. All this is going on, and Saul, the persecutor, realizes that things are serious. He realizes that this is not going away. So he starts to crack down, and you look at it, he enters house to house. It's getting very serious. I mean, this is pure persecution. When you go house to house, and you go into the houses and everything else, he drags men and women off. That's getting into the intense part of persecution. In fact, later he says in Acts 22, I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women. I think we have to realize this about Saul before conversion was that he was that vicious. He was that devoted to the law. So when he talks about grace, think about the contrast. Acts 26, he says, I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme. He tried to entrap them into blaspheming And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. He would chase after them, which is why he was on the Damascus road, because he was chasing after the church. That was Saul, that's how devoted he was, Acts 22 and 26. So the New Testament a number of times mentions what he did during that period of his life. But you'll notice right off the bat here, persecution has the exact opposite effect of its intention. It does not stop the gospel, It actually contributes to it going forward. And that's what we see here. So now, Philip is going to engage. Now, you remember when we had in Acts chapter 6 the seven men who were chosen of Greek background to help the Hellenistic widows? Remember that a couple weeks ago? One of them now, we see Philip. Now, Philip is not an apostle, but he preaches and he does his miracles. He does miracles. And so while the church is scattered, they take advantage of the opportunity. It's an opportunity for them. And when we live in our comfort zones, we tend to not look for opportunities. But when we go out, then we kind of have to. And like Rich said this morning, we have to be flexible. I imagine that if flexibility is not your deal, it's going to be difficult for you to evangelize. Because flexibility means encountering an unbeliever and dialoguing with that person and chatting with them, and that takes some flexibility. And it takes biting your lip at times as well, but listening. And so the church now will go out. So let me read verses 4 through 8. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them that Christ... And the crowds, with one accord, paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who had them. And many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. And boy, it's hard to argue against joy, isn't it? And that's what we see. So Philip is doing the works of Jesus under the power of the Holy Spirit. He's doing the works of the early apostles. And he's going out and incredible things happen. Now, if you were thinking about it, you were like, well, he's going down to Samaria, but he's in Jerusalem and Samaria's north. Anybody think that? Yeah, well, that's because Jerusalem is over 2,000 feet in sea level. And so he has to go down in elevation to get to Samaria. It's that simple. Fair enough? So we see here, Philip will go up to Samaria, that's up there. And then later we'll see him on the Gaza Road on the south side. So what you see is that God is starting to cover the directions of the compass. And they're going out. And this is actually, to me, a very fascinating passage. We've got two stories now coming up that are absolutely fascinating. So please observe them. And I'm going to read the story and I'm going to make some comments. Let's talk about the story of Simon, first of all. Verse 9. But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip as he preached good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued with Philip. And seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. So let me stop for a second and ask you, I'm going to do, if I may, a quick poll because we do a little bit of interaction. How many of you think Simon was saved? Saved. Was Simon saved? Hands up. Hmm. Interesting. It says he believed. How many of you are not willing to commit? (laughs) That's what I see. Yeah, it says believe. Now, this gets into a controversy we'll unpack here in a second, but about whether he was really saved or not. Uh, There are scholars who will say, you see, uh, they believed about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, but it just says Simon believed. Doesn't say what he believed in. Now, I think that could be for literary reasons because they've already said what they believed in, and it's just not repeating it. But it does appear at this point in time that Simon is saved because he believed. So we'll move on and kind of see what happens. Let's see what else we got here that I wanted to point out. So he's got this magic show. So if you'll think, you know, no offense against David Copperfield, but you'll think one of those guys like that. It's got an ongoing magic show. He's got that kind of power. Maybe it comes with Satan. People are excited about it. You know, they love to see him. It's very interesting, especially in that day and age. And so he's the dude. He's got the power. He's great. So these guys come along now, and Simon is going to see a greater power and he's going to be very attracted to that so let's go to verse 14 oh by the way one thing i want to mention let's see where it is there's an amazing statement in verse 12 i don't know if you caught it but in that age this was highly significant where it says they were baptized both men and women it elevates the status of the women even the women Believed, they were baptized. It places them on an equal spiritual level with the men here. And that's important because they were mistreated in the age. Now, verse 14, when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John. These are your flagship apostles who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, But they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, Simon answered, pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. Now, when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. So the gospel is going into Samaria. So let me talk a second about this whole thing with Philip. Uh, at the time, the book of Acts, when different groups would come to Christ, they would have an apostle bring the Holy Spirit to them. Uh, to show that they are being brought into the body of Jesus Christ. Obviously, that whole thing is a debate we could get into today. I do believe, just to cut to the chase, that when you come to Christ, you receive the Holy Spirit. I believe also he empowers you and fills you for special things. Uh, But this is also a time of transition, and there's no reason really to go much further into that. That would be a discussion for a Sunday school or a small group but definitely in this case different pockets like the Ephesians and Acts 19 they received the Holy Spirit at the hands of an apostle so that's what's going on here and the apostles go down and partly because you think about it as the gospel goes to this new region this is huge because now the gospel is spreading out of the specifically Jewish area of Jerusalem and so part of this giving the Holy Spirit is confirming that God is actually going to new people now The Samaritans were, if you will, half-breeds. They were only half-Jewish. They did not worship in Jerusalem. They built their own worship area, Mount Gerizim. That's where they did that. And so that's why the Jews tended to bypass them, which comes up in John chapter 4 with Jesus and the Samaritan woman. So what God is saying here is pretty amazing. It's like even the half-breeds are able to come to Jesus Christ. I realize the phrase half-breed is loaded today. I don't mean it that way, of course, but they are half-Jewish, and that's what I mean. So it's pretty awesome to see what's happening. And then when Simon sees it, he offers the money, because basically what Simon is saying is, what power, imagine if I was in my show in Vegas or wherever, Vegas, Samaria, Imagine if I could do this, how people would flock in and pay me. And if you notice, this is your power of observation. You notice what he says here. Give me this power so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. In other words, I choose to do it. I'll do it in my magic show. I'll pick people out of the crowd. I'll give them the Holy Spirit. Amazing things will happen and I'll get rich because this is the greatest magic I've ever seen. So that's what's on his heart. So you might say his heart's not quite pure, right? You might say his motives are somewhat mixed, right? Absolutely. And that's what he's wanting. So this is what Peter sees. Now, to the question of whether Simon was truly saved or not, I think you can make a pretty good case that Peter doesn't think he is. I'm not saying he's not. Only God knows. But I will say the one reason I love this is because that's our world today. And I've ministered in a culture or multiple cultures where it's not so easy to tell. And only God knows. So I think it's fascinating if you were in the early church here and you were dealing with Simon, you'd have a lot of questions about him and his motive. So Peter confronts him. He's very blunt. Repent of this wickedness of yours. That if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. And that phrase, intent of your heart, is usually used in a negative way. In other words, you're not following the Lord, your intent is evil. And what does Peter say to him? Repent and do what? So this struck my attention because later on, Simon says, pray to the Lord that nothing of what you have said may come on me. And so I looked at the Greek of this, and it's fascinating, because when they tell him to pray, it's second person singular. You, Simon, pray to the Lord. You repent. Does Simon do that? No. What Simon says is, would you all, you plural, pray for me? So when you observe in Scripture, you see little things like that. And I think that's powerful because I think it shows his heart. Now, when somebody believes, I take that at face value that because of grace, they've come to Christ. Um, I don't want to go much further than that with anyone. It's like, okay, if you've really truly believed, you know, the gospel is about God, right? It's about Jesus Christ. It's not about us. And just to make sure we're clear about there's nothing we can do to save ourselves, Right? That sound fundamental theology, it has to come through Jesus Christ. Now, not to pound you over the head with this, but one of the reasons I believe in election is because I believe God has to do all the work. Only God can save. And from start to finish, it has to be the work of God. So if somebody believes, in my mind, because it's the grace of God, that person's really saved. Now, in this case... Maybe he acted like he did or not. But see, that's the conundrum of modern living and ancient living. Where I know kind of what's going on in my heart, but I don't really know what's going on in your heart. Am I right? And that's what makes evangelism interesting, among other things. It is possible for a person to be impressed with God, but not really throw themselves on his mercy. One of the themes in Acts is that there are people who are righteous, but not saved. What? That's exactly what it will say about Cornelius, the Roman centurion. You think he's saved at the beginning, and then all of a sudden later on he comes to Christ. So it's interesting. You can be impressed with God, but not truly rely upon him for salvation. So that might be Simon. So we'll just leave it there, okay? Now, how many of you think Simon was really, truly saved and you were willing to give me an opinion? Yes, how about no? How about I'd rather not commit? (laughs) All right, so there we go. So I'm gonna move on. Now this uh, map, we're gonna get into the section about the Ethiopian eunuch, and then after that, I wanna talk to you a little bit about persecution and the power of persecution, but we'll get there in a moment. Uh, The smaller letters up top are, Places that we saw in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost where people had come from these areas to Israel. Some of them were Jews who were proselytes and had come into Jerusalem. But Ethiopia down there, it's thought, is the Nubian area of Sudan, which I've been there and the people are amazing. I love the people. But it's way in the middle of nowhere now. But Ethiopia is down there. So in case you haven't figured it out, what we're about to see is that the gospel is gonna touch not only the northern areas, but go way down into Africa. It is spreading like that in the power of the Holy Spirit because the Ethiopian eunuch, God brings up to Israel, but he will go back and he will take the gospel with him. So let's take a look at that, it's just an awesome passage. Now in verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now, the passage of the Scripture that he was reading was this. Tell me what chapter this comes from. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shearer, is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who could describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. Suffering servant, the chapter is... Isaiah 53, which has that incredible verse. There is none more incredible. It was the Lord's will to crush him. And so that just happens to be in the power of God, where the Ethiopian eunuch is. So let's back up for just a second. He's obviously a court official. He's of high stature, which is how he can afford to actually own a copy of the scroll of Isaiah. He is a eunuch, which, if y'all are not aware of it, it's uh, someone who has been castrated, so they will uh, not bring rebellion against the king or the queen. And so that's what a eunuch is. And uh, he is restricted from Jewish worship as a eunuch. This man would have been black. That's the region there. He is a God-fearer. He is a significant official. And at that time, Ethiopia was considered to be the end of the earth. And yet he comes from there, and early on in the book of Acts, we see someone come from that region. As the gospel expands to new groups. I think it's interesting that it goes down to Ethiopia. The gospel expands to people we don't necessarily want to, uh, to incorporate. I had, uh, last weekend, I, I attended a two-day conference from Dallas Seminary, virtually. And it was about the issue of gender dysphoria and gender identity. And I was so proud of Dallas with how they did this conference, it was fascinating. But they were talking about the dynamics that lead someone to become homosexual, lesbian, gay, gender dysphoric, transgender. They had theologians, doctors, counselors, PhDs, and they also had people who had come out of the lesbian movement and also transgender. It was absolutely fascinating. And I thought it was beautiful what they said about reaching uh, those people, that the issue is one of identity. This is especially the case now, more so than it used to be in societies, but it's all about identity, and basically someone has been abused, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. There may be a lot of reasons for it, but basically their response has been to go to this, and it's about identity. It's not about sexuality, was the point. Obviously, that's a part of it. We have a really, really troubled society, don't we? We can go to the reasons why I think the prevalence of divorce has just been absolutely devastating in the United States. It kind of doesn't matter we are where we are. We're a self-absorbed society. But if we will realize that the people that God has put in our community around us are wrestling with love with identity, and we can come in and we can show them healthy love, and we can show them identity in Jesus Christ. We can show them something positive. How amazing that would be. In fact, the lesbian said she had gone to a seminary, she'd gone to an obviously liberal seminary and was practicing lesbian, and then after that, she was actually in a remote area, and God kind of spoke to her, and she said, What changed me. Gradually was, I wanted to know more about God. I saw a God I'd never seen before. And I wanted to know more. God, come into my life. Show me more of you. And on that positive note, she came to Christ. And she's trying to help those who have come out of it. Or need to. But it's about love. And it was a good reminder. You know, we're so easy to throw condemnation. What if we flip that and we through the love and identity of Jesus Christ. What a difference that would make. So here's a eunuch. Here's someone that really is restricted from Jewish worship because of it. Here's someone who is from another culture. He's black. And yet the Holy Spirit works through him. Won't it be cool to get to heaven and meet the Ethiopian eunuch? Won't it be awesome? And so Philip gets saying like in softball terms, this is lobbed up to Philip. I'm reading Isaiah 53. What does it mean? That's the thing I always pray for. Somebody come to me with Isaiah 53 and ask for an explanation. And so the eunuch said to Philip, verse 34, about whom I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth and began, beginning with his scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. It's about Jesus. And so obviously the eunuch responds positively, and as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. And the eunuch said, What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, but went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azatuz, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. And that's the story of the Ethiopian eunuch, it's amazing. Philip is taken there, he kind of beams down there, talks to him, leads him to Christ, baptizes him, and all of a sudden beams back out. So it's just, it, that story Just I just find kind of funny. Uh, Awesome, but also interesting. So up on the map, the red star there is Jerusalem. There's nothing communist intended by it. It's just, I want it to be visible. Above that is Samaria where Philip went. Now on the Gaza road, we see Philip down here. Ashdod, Azotus is about 20 miles north of Gaza. So all of a sudden he will end up there. And then after that, he will hoof it up to Caesarea, which we'll see in chapter 10 with Cornelius. 55 miles up the road, and he's witnessing to the, the towns around there. So God is effectively now saturating the Samarian, Samaritan area. Of course, now we know that area down by Gaza is uh, is much in dispute, but that's now, not then. So, um, Agith Fernando, who wrote a commentary, had this to say that I thought was interesting about good evangelism, and we see that here in the passage. Good evangelism reflects faithful obedience. It's you responding to God and speaking to others about Jesus Christ. Good evangelism is ready to cross cultural lines. Let me put it another way. God didn't say, okay, go out and reach white Republicans. Go out and reach fellow military people. And we're supposed to, yes. But it goes beyond that, doesn't it? You know what I mean? Good evangelism is sensitive to the hearts prepared by God. It looks for people who are wrestling. It often starts with the other person's questions. You know, we have a tendency to hit them over the head, lecture, but good evangelism starts with listening to where the person is. It is rooted in scriptural teaching, and it has Jesus as the theme. So let's pray. God will bring people along our path that we can share Christ with and that is evangelism. The idea of baptism here, this is a subject we could spend several classes on. Um, I just wanted to mention this uh, first of all to say I'm assuming looking at all of you that we have a body full of people who have truly received Jesus Christ. But I am cautioned by the story of Simon, the magician, that there are people who are wrestling with it and aren't really sure. So this morning, what I'd like to say to you is this, if there's any doubt in your mind about your relationship with Jesus Christ, you need to settle that now, you need to settle it today. And after the service, will you please come forward, let's chat about that. The second thing I think is interesting, we've seen two parts here in this passage, this chapter about baptism. Baptism is a fascinating study. I've read a lot about it and studied, talked to a lot of friends of different persuasions. It's kind of interesting. Um, When I was in the Appalachians, uh, I was told, I know you baptized somebody at First Baptist in the baptistry, but that didn't count. Well, why not? You have to baptize in flowing water, like a river or a creek. Why is that? Because their sins get washed away. And if you baptize in a baptistry, their sins aren't getting washed away. And my response was, well, we're going to pull the drain plug. (laughs) And I'm like, you know, fundamentally, theologically, the problem with that is like, they're saying it's the act of baptism. And that's wrong. Uh One of my fellow ministry buddies, we've talked a lot about this stuff. He is not of the same persuasion I am about, let's just say, the Calvinistic area. And uh, he told me, you know, in our churches, that won't work. I'm like, why? He's like, well, you have to have the preacher in the water with the person being baptized. And, you know, I shake my head. It's like, have we gotten to that point? The answer is Yes. I think you can make a case in the scripture that generally it was immersion, sometimes it was sprinkling or effusion. The uh, Presbyterians make a good case for pouring. Where do you baptize? Does it have to be in a church building where there wasn't one then? I baptize in lakes, rivers, swimming pools, and baptistries. The important thing to me is you're believing in Jesus Christ. Baptism is a sign that you are identifying with Jesus Christ and with his body, you are swearing allegiance to Jesus Christ. And I don't know about you, I just don't get hung up with some of the other details because I think that they're distractions. Amen? But baptism, the thing about it is, is that it is a statement that you are identifying with Jesus Christ. That you're stepping out and you're making it known that you now worship a new God to you. And so anyway, uh, that's a part of the story here, but I'll move on for the sake of time. So we see God's momentum with the gospel now going all over Samaria. Now, I want to shift gears. We're going to go a little bit longer today, but I think you'll be glad we did. We've now had three passages in a row that had to do with persecution. And I want to share a little bit with persecution because the perspective is persecution will kill the gospel. But that's actually the opposite. Philippians 1, Paul says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And watch this. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Paul says the opposite of what we say, and uh, I don't intend this to, to correct what was said earlier, but just this is what I used to say. We talk about the persecuted church. At the voice of the martyrs, I was told, drop that phrase. It is one body of Jesus Christ. There is no separate persecuted church that's different. There are our brothers and sisters. And Philippians says, persecution causes us to be more bold. Maybe not always, but often that's the case. And I want to show you, because I want to end on a positive, encouraging note here. Um, I think I mentioned this a while back. A good friend of mine, Todd Nettleden, wrote this book, When Faith is Forbidden, 40 Days on the Front Lines of Persecuted Christians. Uh, This is the book where Todd had come to me and said, I know you wrote a book. That's awesome. Would you help me write one? I've been wanting to write this book, but I need an accountability partner. And basically for the next year I bothered him every week for him to submit a chapter. And then it went to Moody and they made it even better and they did an amazing job. So that's this book. It's amazing. What it is, it's kind of a devotional book, but it's 40 different stories that Todd heard from around the world talking directly to the persecuted about their faith. And so rather than saying persecution is just such a horrible, you know, disgusting thing, which I mean it is, but it's i want to inspire you with the encouragement that god is working and in the lives of the persecuted that's what we've learned let me show you some examples that i've seen this is south korea but up until recently when the north korean government kept complaining about it a ministry the voice of the martyrs korea was sending balloons into north korea the wind would take them and they would even put gps devices on them but they'd have scriptures and other gospel material And it was their way of getting into North Korea, because if you try to go into North Korea and share the gospel, you'll probably die as a result of it. But this is a way to get the gospel in North Korea. So in other words, we can find a way to do it. That's what they're doing. This, I think, is Tehran. I know it's in Iran. Look at all the satellite dishes. See that? We consider Iran to be a very tough country to get into, but God is using satellite broadcasts from multiple ministries to get the gospel into Iran, and people are coming to Jesus Christ. And and actually, the real truth of Iran is that uh, the Islamic community has been gutted in many ways, but people are coming to Jesus Christ. Who would not want to hear a gospel of hope and a gospel of love? That's uh, somewhere in northern Thailand. Each one of those young people is going to the land of persecution known as Lao or Laos. Laos, every province in Laos has gospel witnesses in it. And these young people are preparing through Bible study and other training to go into Laos and take the gospel to Laos and take the word of God to Laos. Isn't that amazing? Anybody know what uh, city this is? I could tell you from firsthand experience the gospel is in Hanoi, Vietnam. The building in the foreground is the Hanoi Hilton prison camp. Was able to speak to a church there in Hanoi. They do allow that, especially in the cities, but in the countryside, there's more persecution, especially on the edges of the country. The gospel is in Hanoi, Vietnam. In fact, of all the places I've ever visited, the place I thought, you know, I'd love to come back and live here is Hanoi. That's South Vietnam, somewhere down there. Uh, These are two workers, gospel workers, Voice of the Martyrs gave them the motorbike, and they used that motorbike to smuggle Bibles across the border. And they were so excited about it, and they actually got shot at by government forces, and that just thrilled them no end. So wouldn't it be cool to know that your money, i mean, I'm not asking for money for VOM, but I'm just saying, wouldn't it be cool to know your money went to buy a motorbike that carried the gospel across the country? And this is one of my all-time favorite pictures. I wish I didn't have to cover the faces, but uh, we were in South Vietnam, the Mekong Delta, which is very humid and, you know, when you're trying to hear somebody's persecution story, it's hot and humid, you got jet lag, it's not easy. So uh, we got kind of addicted to the Vietnamese coffee and, you know, in the afternoon, kind of cold and sweet. So they said, we're gonna, we said, you know, we beg you, will you take us to a coffee shop? And they're like, oh, you're gonna get coffee. So they pulled into a motorcycle repair shop What in the world is this? And in the back was a group of older people having a Bible study. I wish I could show you this man's face. Probably should not. Sorry. But the man on the right, in the uh, check shirt there on the right, uh, the plaid shirt, I mean, at this time was 81 years old. When he was 72 years old, the pastor spent a couple of years sharing the gospel with him and at the age of 72, this gentleman came to Christ. Isn't that cool? So what I wanna show you is that in spite of what we may say, even lands that seem closed, God is working and people are coming to Jesus Christ. It's awesome. That's Gracia Burnham I mentioned last time who was kidnapped in the Philippines. Her husband Martin was killed in the process about a year later and she tells her story around the country. That's a church in China that I visited in Wuhan And I don't know if that building is still there or not, but the gospel was very strong in Wuhan, China. I can tell you that. And now I want to show you a video. And again, we're gonna go a little longer today, but I think you're gonna watch this video and you're gonna be glad you saw it. I've got two videos. One is like a minute long. This one's almost seven, I think it is. But you're gonna be glad you saw it. This is a lady whose American name is Sarah from China, was imprisoned for six or seven years And this is her story. I'll tell you more later.
1: I not what I would go through that night. The Bible says, do not fear. I have read this many times. But tonight, I would be very afraid. The soldiers do not ask questions. They do not tell me why or where they are taking me. I am still in my pajamas. I feel humiliated and completely helpless. I have been arrested before. But this is not an arrest. And I'm not being brought to the police station. I quickly realize they have more than questions for me. I can hear is my heart And with every beat, the sound grows louder. And I become more afraid. They have a document for me to sign. It is a confession and a statement against my friends. I refuse to sign and silently pray the night will go by quickly. The guard is angry. His face is full of rage and I become his victim. I try not to give in, but the pain is overbearing. I repeat Bible verses to myself. Blessed are those who are persecuted, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I'm beaten on my feet and other places on my body. I scream in pain. Wondering if anyone will hear me. If anyone can help me. Would signing the document be so wrong? And if it was, wouldn't God forgive me? I think the war is over, my legs are chained, and I'm forced to walk. The guards are bored, and they pass the night watching me, forcing me to walk back and forth through the night. Alone with my chains, I walk. Time has begun to slow. I begin to wish I have signed the document. I cry out to God to give me strength and wonder how much more I can endure. Hours have passed when I notice the footprints on the floor. They are my footprints, and they have been made from walking in the trail of my own blood. I think of Christ, and how He was beaten before walking to Golgotha, how He must have also left a trail of His own blood. also was hated by this world. In a small way, I now suffer for him. I am not alone. I am with Christ, who worked this path for me. And this gives me the courage to go on.
0: conversations we had with Sarah was about Christmas lights yes the lights you buy at Walmart and what she said was don't feel bad buy them when you put them on your tree pray for the persecuted in China different way of looking at it Sarah is in the United States she speaks about her experience And, uh, you know, I I mentioned before, I asked her, were you afraid when you came to the U.S. your faith would grow colder in our culture? And she said yes. Sarah, though, um, also another positive thing was uh, she has a video that I'm going to show you. It's a very short video. It's of believers in China who never owned a Bible and actually are given one. And it's what happened when they received the Bibles. So I ask you, don't answer out loud, how many Bibles do you have in your house? How many of them are read? How many of them are taken for granted? Watch this. Hebrews 4 says, The word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. How much does it really mean to us? 感谢主了,
1: 感谢主了。哎呀, 感谢主了。哎呀, 感谢主了。this is the other thing,
0: in the the Let's break. Father God, thank you for your word. We thank you for what we read in it. We thank you for the enlightenment, but we thank you for the inspiration and the joy we see in your word. We thank you for the hope in Jesus Christ. We look at our brothers and sisters around the world who are going through some tough times. In your will, you have placed us here for your own reasons, but help us to understand better what's happening around the world to invest ourselves and our lives and our resources into helping your gospel go forward. I thank you for each believer here at FRAC for the calling you have on their lives. And Father, as we move on from this passage in this section on persecution, uh, it was so easy for us to just feel guilty and, and mope about it. I would pray that we would actually be inspired to do something to further your gospel. So put in our hearts what you wish. And Father, again, for those who do not truly know whether they're saved or not, just pray that today they'd be able to sort that out. And if there's anyone who is interested in baptism after we've seen these passages, that uh, they might uh, consider that as well, making that public statement. So Father, we thank you for your word and the time we've had around it today. It's been challenging and convicting, but I think we're richer because of it. To the glory of Jesus.